picking up where we left off in the, uh, with the prodigal family reunion. And we're back in Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at verse 8. But first, let's go to God in prayer. Great God, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Please guide us in all truth, grant to us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and help us to take the things that we've learned and are taught and apply them to our each and everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you to be thy will. Amen. Okay, so now, verse 8. Or what man, or what woman, excuse me, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you that uh, there is joy in the presence of the angels uh, of God over one sinner who repents. And so now we're looking at a value again, right? She has ten coins. She loses one. And that one coin is very valuable, very precious to her. And certainly it's very precious to the Pharisees, right? And, and their, you know, counterparts. Uh, because it's, it's money, right? So it's a resource. Um, but she found the one coin and she rejoiced and about it and, um, and how precious it was. Now, here's what's important. As we look at the lost son, um, we see in the parable in verse 7 and verse 10, Luke 15 verse 7, Look at the connection. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10. In the same way, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels over, of God over one sinner who repent, repents. So the inference here is that there is no celebration for the non-repentant. There's no celebration for the person who stays out there in the world and does not come back to God. There's no celebration for the one who is not restored. There's no celebration for the one who is not recovered. There's only a celebration for the one that's restored. So, that's the whole world, right? The whole world, all of us, have lived in the world at one point in our lives. And there was joy in that day when we, uh, Christians, who surrendered to God, right, were lost and we, we were baptized uh, and added to the body of Christ by His grace and mercy. And there was rejoicing and celebrating in heaven. But there is no celebration and no rejoicing for the person who refused to, refuses to come to Christ Jesus. So the prodigal account is it's a very moving, um, relevant, and turbulent parable. I mean, this is not this isn't one of those you just you sit down and read it and you go no no it's it's really it's active it's uh, it's it's relevant it's very it's very turbulent and it's, it's active because. Every, everything's moving. There's constant moving in the in the parable, right? About the prodigal. There's just a lot of a lot of moving. It's, it's um, you know, the, the church is the same way. There's a lot of movement in the church, right? Think about this. Can you think of church? Two Sundays that are identical with the number of people 
that are in attendance. When I say number, I don't mean, you know, 50 people or 100. I mean 50 of the same people. Can you, can you ever even, I mean, do you, can you even, even fathom that? Does that even enter into your mind? It do, does it even happen? Do we ever have the same people? We have some of the same people, but as far as the totality of the number, is that number ever consistent with the same people? In other words, are there people that are so convinced that they're always here? It's always the same people, meaning everyone's here. That's never the case, unfortunately. There are always people who are missing. And I know some are missing, um, you know, because of work or illness. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about those who just say, I'm just too tired to go. I just don't have time for the Lord today. Today I just, or whatever, you know, there are people who just are absent because they chose to be absent. It's very turbulent, right? The church is, is turbulent. Um, Then there are those who left, who've gone, thinking about the sheep, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and and have returned. And we're more value than sheep, right? So there's rejoicing in heaven. But the attitude of some church members is some church members hate that this member has left, gone, and then come back. Whether, whether it be out of jealousy or, or just envy or, or just pure hatred, I, I don't know. But there are some who just don't really want you back. Does that make sense? You ever, have you ever seen that kind of argument in the church? Where Yoda and Syntyche are fighting and one of them leaves and Yoda says, I don't care if you never come back. And then Syntyche never comes back and Yoda rejoices. And then one day Syntyche comes back and Yodia doesn't even recognize her. Philippians 4 and 2. Tell those two ladies to get along. You ever seen that in the church? We, don't, we won't say that. We'll never say, I'm, you know, I'm glad they came back or um, I wish they'd never returned. But older brother? Yeah, it's the older brother, isn't it? This son of yours. Right? We'll get to him. It's turbulent because at the same time you have so many who are so glad to see you back right so happy they're so excited you've come back the one who's left the one who's gone and is now returned and then some really just don't care one way or another (laughs) some are just like whether you come or stay just it's your choice whatever who 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 cares it's turbulent you see the church like the parable is very is very turbulent and um as we think about our now, we think about our future, we think about today, you think about the turbulence of the story. The, the son comes to his father, and his father, give me what belongs to me, and let me go. And the father doesn't even stop him. He just, you know, yeah, here you go. He just gives it to him and, go, and lets him go. The brother doesn't try to stop him. He could have. The father could have. God's not going to stop you from going out. If you want to go live that way, God's not going to stop you. He's not going to put a roadblock in front of you and say, please don't leave me. He's going to say, have at it if that's what you want. Not a good idea, but if that's what you want. See, here's what we know, that the, the father didn't want to be right. God doesn't want to be right. You know, God doesn't want to say, I told you so. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to work for you. I already told you that. No, God doesn't want to be right. God's already right, always right. 
God's always to be found true in every man a liar. God is right. But God doesn't want to be right. God wants us to be saved. That's what God wants. That's what God desires in his heart. And so this is a very turbulent story. This is about free will. Right? Free will. If you, if you really want to go into the world and you really want to go and play with Satan, because it's, I mean, that's it, right? It's either God or Satan. There, there aren't, there's nothing else. And if you really want to do that, then God will allow you to go. So maybe I'll lose my way, and maybe I'll make it back, and then maybe I won't. It's only one way back, right? Um, maybe I'll find my way. But do we really realize how desperately we need God? I want to show you 2 Corinthians, just for a moment. I want to show you a passage. So 1 Corinthians um, deals with um, chapter 5. A man who is sleeping with his father's uh, wife. And the church, you know, the church is the wrong attitude. They're pretty messed up. They're rejoicing over that. And then, you know, of course, later on, Paul you know, he writes a letter and he says, you know, your boasting is evil and, you know, I've delivered this man over to Satan. And so he is, he is, um, uh, in the parable, in this particular, in the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or chapter 5 rather, uh, they disfellowshipped him. Well, then you have the rest of 1 Corinthians, you know, where Paul's answering this question and that question. And it's not until 2 Corinthians, uh, the letter, the second letter is written. And the second letter is written, and it, he speaks about the man who was sleeping with his father's wife and how um, the majority, you know, decided we better fix this. And they disfellowshipped him. And But then he, at some point, he's like the prodigal. He was lost. But then he turned his life around. He came back. Right? And then what a great, great passage. But I want to skip all the way down to verse uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 5 says, But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. I mean, it was the right thing to do. Okay? So you don't have to question what you've done. It you that was the right thing to do. He was, you know, so. But, listen to what he goes on to say in verse 7. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Important. When a member does leave and come back, our responsibility is to rejoice, right? This coin, this sheep was lost and now they're found, right? We're supposed to rejoice or we could be like the older brother and not rejoice. I'll tell you what gets us though, curiosity. Curiosity, they say, killed the cat. You know, Christians, you know, if you've been, if you've um, grown up, no one's raised in the church, right? You grow up, and, and you, you grow up go, attending services, but you're not a church member until you're, you know, baptized, added to Christ, 
when you reach the age of accountability. Okay, those are the right of right right mind, sound mind. There's this curiosity of the world. You know, what's the world doing? What are they doing? You know, I'm not saying everyone has that curiosity, but you know what what's going on out there? You know what um, what are they doing? And then we look at them and we. We're like Asaph in Psalm 73. It looks like their lives are fine. It looks like they're having, a fun, they're having fun. Um, they're enjoying themselves. Their relationship is, is wonderful. Um, and, you know, we become curious and church members leave. Our young, our young teenagers, why are they leaving? You know, why? They're curious. I don't know what's going on in the world, right? And, um, and they haven't learned to love Jesus, and, and that's something they suppo- they're supposed to learn that. As parents, we're not supposed to just let them think they're going to just fall in love with God. We have to teach them how to fall in love with God. Teach them about God so they understand the power of the Bible and the power of God. They're supposed to fall in love with God. And when they fall in love with God, they're not going anywhere. But the problem is our teens are falling, a lot of them, are not falling in love with God. They're just going through the motion. And, you know, and, and we got to save them. That's our responsibility. Um, the dad did not try to stop the older, the younger son from his worldly journey. This is really, this is where you need it. This free will, he, he let him go. The father did not challenge his free will, based on the parable. Um, and Jesus tells the parable because he's contrasting the two brothers. He's contrasting uh, the attitudes of the two. So one, for Luke 15, verse 1, the first, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Verse 2, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were complaining about Jesus, right? Why is Jesus, why is God, Ever heard people do that? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God letting this happen to me? Attitudes haven't changed, right? Sad, but, right? Why is God eating with these sinners? Um, so the brothers represent, the tax gatherers, the tax collectors, the sinners um, would be like the younger brother. They have engaged in immoral, no question about it, Immoral living, right? Wild living, you could say. In Luke fifteen thirteen, there's wild living, right? That's what he said his brother was doing. He's out there living uh, wildly. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're like the older brother in the parable. Um, they're deeply devoted to study, supposedly, right? Um, in their minds, they were deeply devoted to this study time, to uh, their obeying the word of God, to... You, you might add their prayer time. Uh, they're constantly at the assemblies, and but their attitude is horrible, right? It, it's like it's like you you're coming to all of the assemblies, but you're not listening, right? That's that's what they that's that's exactly who the Pharisees are, and they're the older brother. Yes, you've been here all your life, but you haven't listened. You haven't listened, and that. That's that's the problem. So the brothers are both um, they're both alienated from their father. 
Right? I mean, it, it seems like the one brother who says, I've always been here, he's alienated from his father. Right? I mean, he's not really one with his father. Uh, look at verse 20, please. Uh, Luke chapter 15. The father has to do something for both of them. Verse 20. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 28. But he became uh, angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. What did the father do for both brothers? He went to go get them. Right? In verse 20. He, you know, he sees the son, and he, the younger son, and he goes out and embraces him. And in verse 28, he goes out and gets the other brother as well. And so the lover of prostitutes, the first son, uh, as, and by the way, that's in verse 30, that he was accused of loving, you know, and maybe that's what he did. Uh, obviously, it says he did. So, um, but, He's the one who enters into the kingdom of God. But the one who was a moral man in his own mind, he was lost. Isn't that interesting? That's an amazing contrast. It's like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense unless you remember that Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you hate your brother, it's the same as what? Murder. So maybe the moral man wasn't so moral after all. Right? We're talking about attitudes. So this is the whole picture, the holistic view of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, the Word of God and, and, and of humanity. In the end, um, the evil son, right? We'll call the younger the prodigal. The evil son, he comes into his father's feast and, and, and he dances and that's great. And he rejoices. There's rejoicing. But the good son, because of pride, absolutely would not participate. Right? Look at verse 29. Luke 15 and verse 29. So what is it that's keeping the older brother out? That's a good question. Right? What, what, what is it that's keeping him out? Why does he say, stay out there, you know, and miss the party when his younger brother uh, comes home and goes out. Verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. What's keeping him out? It's not his badness, right? It's not that he's you know, if we want to look at it, say he's the good son. It's not that he's a bad son. Um, that that That's not keeping him out. You know what's keeping him out? Yeah, well, yeah, it's pride. <laughs> his goodness, right? His pride, his goodness. I'm too good. I've been good. I've been good all my life. I don't need a Savior. Right? Isn't that the problem? See the problem? Pride, right? I've been good. I'm not like, I'm not like them. Right? <laughs> I've been good all my life. And so... You, and you never, you never gave me satisfaction. Well, what would make you happy, older son? A party for my friends. <laughs> well, we're <pinned. laughs> Right? See the, see the, we're just trying to contrast just the two, right now, just, just contrasting, uh, the two in the account. Um, 
the elder brother in the end is, is, you know, based on the count, he's lost, but not, it's not because of his good record, it's because of his good record. (laughs) See that? If he had a good record with a good heart, that'd be different. But see, it's because of his good record, he's got a horrible heart. See that? And and that's what's, that's what's causing him his trouble is that um, he he has he has no mercy, he ha- you know he has no compassion. He's full of pride, right? And and so you think of the mainness, the main thing between me. What is it between myself and God? What is the separation? Well, we know it's sin, right? Now, now the question that goes deeper is, what is it that's in your heart, though, right? Because we probably don't have the same sin. Right? And if pride is is the issue, um, do you even recognize it? See, that's what's so sad, is that the older brother doesn't even recognize his pride he's struggling with. He says, I've done everything right. But you haven't done everything right. Your heart's bad. Right? See, but he doesn't see it. And, and that's pretty scary when you think about that. So the humble are, are in, when you think of heaven, and the proud are out. Wait a minute. That sounds like the beginning, doesn't it? Remember Satan? What happened? The pride of his heart. Somewhere in there, Satan said, I think I won God's throne. Pride. And he gets kicked out. And the humble angels remain where they are. Look at Luke 19, verse 12. Luke 19, verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself. And then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Grumblers. Right? That, that's, a, that's a problem, isn't it? Because, you know, later you find out that, you know, in another parable, you find that, uh, you know, they did good work. Some made five. Some, you know, it's some did one that five talent man. And ten. Some people hate God. Are there any Christians who hate God? I know a bunch of them. And unfortunately, they'll tell you that, too. And it's sad. And, and there's always a reason, if you will, that they hate God. It's because of something that happened in their life whether it be something they brought on themselves, which they'll never admit, or, or whatever it may be, it, they find a reason to hate God. Israel hated God too. Some of them, I don't mean all of Israel, but there's a huge, there's an amazing number of Israelites that really did not like, didn't like God. People like God oftentimes for what they can get. Not for what, not for what God commands of us, right? Uh, think about, if you will, so the word hate, I know it's a very strong word. Um, it simply means to love less, right? I love God less than I love my sin. I love God. I don't, I don't want to do what God wants me to do because of. I'll always find or look for a loophole, a way out. And so that I love, you know, to love less what God expects or wants of us. Um, Exodus, please, chapter uh, 15. Let's go back and look at, the grumblers, right? Israel. It never ends. People are the same. We have different names and different faces, but for the most part, in all times of all history, we are 
the same. And that's why it's important um, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. It tells us to learn the lesson of Israel. Don't be like Israel. Don't be like them, right? And they were, they were grumblers. They, didn't, they weren't satisfied with what God had in store for them. They just weren't, they just weren't satisfied. And, I, you know, I think that's a great question for us today. You know, are we truly satisfied for, you know, what we have and, and um, our relationship with God? And are we truly satisfied? Are we satisfied? You know? So they were grumblers. Verse 24, it says, and by the way, this is after they crossed the Red Sea. And now in, in the Song of Moses, verse 24, so the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? <laughs> what shall we drink, Moses? You brought us out here. Now we're going to die. What are we going to drink? And they just grumbled and grumbled. And they never stopped. Moses became so angry at them. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1 in verse 27. When you read Deuteronomy, you, you can feel or sense, should I say, in the, in the writing, the, the frustration that Moses had with, um, with Israel. It was a gift that God took him. Uh, verse 27, And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. What, what an accusation against God, right? You know, God hates me because if God loved me, then I would have this, or I would have that, or I could do this, or I could do that. But God hates us. All God wants us, listen to this, all God wants is for us to follow these rules, and we don't want rules. Right? Something's wrong. See, the mind, we don't, we don't change. And, and to learn that the instructions that God has for us are for our good. That's important to learn that, to love that. Therefore, our good rules are for our good. And so we, we have to relish, rejoice in the fact that God loves us enough to give us boundaries. We love kids, love boundaries. We do as adults as well. You know, we love boundaries. Give me a boundary. You know, that's really important. Bring structure into my life. Don't let me just run free and run around and do whatever I want when I want every whim, whim et cetera, et cetera. That's just, that's going to ruin me. Give me structure. Give me boundaries. But nowadays, we don't have boundaries for our children. They get to do whatever they want. We've got to have you know, consequences and be firm in that. Israel, Israel accused God of not, of not loving them or not caring for them. God does not care about us. He's going to bring us out here to be destroyed by the Amorites. Hmm. Look at Joshua chapter 9 and verse 18. The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. They all did wrong. They made a covenant with the Gibeonites. They didn't pray to God first about it. And and now the Gibeonites, you know, now they get to stay. Well, oh, why did you make that decision? Well, because we made a covenant with them. You all knew that God said not to make a covenant with any of the inhabitants of the land, but everybody made a covenant with them. Welcome them into the camp because you believe their story. Look at our bread. You know, look at our clothing. It's all worn out. It's all moth-eaten and molded, etc., etc. They were deceived. And then instead of accepting the truth that they had done wrong, it was their fault. They decided to blame the leadership. They decided to blame Moses. It's easier to do that. 
Now, let's go and look at Psalm 106. Psalm 106. We'll be getting into the parable here in just, in just a minute. We've just got to set it up to follow the whole the idea, the scriptures, the holistic view of what Jesus is leading up to. Psalm 106, verse 24 and 25. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their, their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. So this murmuring attitude is an attitude that exists even to this day. We find it uh, in uh, the scribes and the Pharisees as Jesus is teaching the parable, the behavior of the Pharisees and the scribes. They're very, very religious people and righteous people in their own mind. But they're not, they're not godly people. The tax collectors, um, they're very humble. They're notable for their sins, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, we, this is how we learn how to live our lives. We don't know any better. What? There's another way? They didn't know, right? Until someone came along to teach them. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees stayed far away from them, right? So uh, didn't teach them or talk to them about uh, the Bible. And what I'm saying to you is that God expects us to open our mouths and teach so we don't fall into the trap of, um, you know, wicked or bad behavior for bad behavior or bad company corrupts good morals. Instead, we are to be teachers in the middle of, uh, of bad behavior. So, as they distance themselves from sinners not understanding something, what is it that they didn't understand? They were sinners too. Meaning, they practiced sin. They practiced sin, the Pharisees. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Um, kindness. 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you shall love your neighbor. Wait. But I say to you that you shall love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in, uh, in heaven. For he calls the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I want to talk about the first son. All of that <laughs> leads us to the first son. So we go back to Luke 15. And let's look at verse um, 11. Luke 15 and verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. How would you feel if your child came to you and basically wished your death upon you by saying, Based on the law, what's yours is mine when you die. But I want mine now. 
How would you feel? Um, what kind of response would you have had toward that that child who felt like um, you owed them? In in 1989, uh, Lyle and Eric Menendez murdered their parents for money. All I'm trying to just the attitude hadn't gone away. The attitude has not um, gone away. It's selfish behavior, and it continues in the hearts of mankind. This, this rude and disrespectful behavior toward others, if it continues to go unchecked, um, it's going to be horrible, right? Give me what belongs to me. I want to come back to, to give me. Um, in, in just a moment. But let's, let's go to Romans 12. The attitude of the Christian is spelled out for us in the Scriptures that God expects us to be uh, certain people living in certain, a certain way. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Well, I've seen some things like you know, we give preference to one another. I've seen brethren walk through here without devotion. You ever seen it? I've seen it in the church. Everywhere you go, you'll see it in the church where there, there's, we're in the building, but we're not devoted to each other. We're devoted to a group, right? Like cliques, you know. We, we'll walk past certain brethren and not talk to other brethren. We just disregard each other. Push, I've even seen brethren push each other aside and just to get somewhere. It's just, it's just not respectful. But the attitude of rudeness is, uh, is very prevalent, very present in our world today. In verse 17, never pay back evil for evil uh, to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. That's, that's important to respect people, right? When you disrespect people, uh, that's horrible. And so it's disrespectful when we, um, we just don't acknowledge each other, acknowledge, we just, we walk past each other, we push each other aside and it's just disrespectful behavior. We ought not be that way. The child, the son, was very disrespectful to his father. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7 um, in verse 12? The golden rule, right? The golden rule for, for all of, uh, of humanity. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, right? For this is the law and the prophets. God, in, in, you know, in the world of Christianity, expects us to look out for each other, to think about, to very, in a very calculated way, to think about how we treat each other, to really, really honestly think about it, right? Think about it. How would you want people to treat you? So then you go through the, whether it be social economics, or you look at the uh, you know, socialism, the, the millennials, the, the baby boomers, the you know, old folks, whatever you want to call them, it doesn't really matter. When you go and you look at life, ask yourself, how would you want to be treated if you were that individual? And then so treat them in that way, right? That's very uh, important in, in when, you, when you're thinking about love and Christianity. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, speaking of love, uh, verses um, 4 through verse 7. What, what, is, what, what are characteristics of love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, uh, is not provoked, 
does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As Christians, we have to live very calculated lives, right? Be sure not to ignore people. Be sure not to treat others with contempt. Be sure not to push others aside physically. Really? Engage in conversation with one another. Greet one another. Strive to the best of our ability not to hurt other people's feelings. Um, look at Luke 17. Try not to be a stumbling block. You may wonder, why in the world is he bringing all this stuff up? Because I'm telling you, when we get to the older brother, you're going to get to see it live. Right? Um, Luke 17, verses 1 and verse 2. This speaks of stumbling blocks. Do not be a stumbling block. Uh, He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Do not be a stumbling block. To anyone. So you got to think about the way you're treating people. So the Pharisees, again, here Jesus is teaching, and, and the, all these people are here, and the Pharisees are lined up maybe on the wall, and they're wondering, looking at Jesus, they're grumbling and saying, Why is he talking to these sinful people? Why is he talking to these sinners who want to hear about God? Why is he doing that? As we look through the eye of Jewish society, the older brother would receive. Um, you know, his share, and the younger brother would receive his share. Uh, when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, we, we find it written very clearly, uh, very plainly, so one would understand uh, how much it is that this younger brother is asking of his father, even while his father is still living. Verse 15. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the one loved have borne him sons. If the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the loved first, the firstborn before the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn. The son of the unloved be given him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. So the firstborn in this, in this parable would have received two-thirds and the younger would have received one-third, right? Um, and the younger wants his third uh, right now. And so he's, he has this um, entitlement, right? He has this entitled attitude that give me Let's look at what he says in Luke 15, um, verse 1 and verse 2. He says, give me what's due. You know, give me my share. First of all, um, if the father is still alive, you don't have a share, right? It's not your money, son. It's mine, right? He says, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. 
Solomon had a really big issue with this. You know, when I say issue, what I mean is, um, you know, he thought about it. Like, you know, what all the stuff I have, when when I die, who's going to get it? And when he gets it, what's he going to do with it? Now, I'm working really hard for this, and I really want to put things in to life in a way that's great and wonderful. And yeah, I want to leave something to my children, but should I work really, really hard and then give them a lot? Or should I spend it all on myself? <laughs> it's one of those things that Solomon talked about. And we'll come to that one in our, our next uh, session. But the, old, the younger son had a very privileged attitude. Right? Very, very privileged. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for this parable, for the instruction from your word. Pray, Lord God, that you will help us to be humble in all that we say and do and to realize that you are good and you have blessed us in so many ways. Help us never to be privileged or to have the attitude of being privileged, but rather to be humble servants, Lord God, to serve you with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul. Help us to be the people that you want us to be and help us to look into our own hearts, Lord God, where we find error, where we find fault. Rescue us, Lord God, and grant to us a heart of repentance, confession, and humility. In Jesus' name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen.